What comes to mind when you think about serving as a missionary? Where, where might you serve? How might you serve? Those are perhaps some of the questions one might consider as they prepare to serve as a missionary. What does life look like in the mission field? We have a guest with us in studio today to help us paint a picture, understand what life is like in the mission field. Sarah Kanoy, she serves the Lord in East Africa as community health nurse and educator. Sarah, welcome back to Faith and Family. Thank you. It's good to be here. Glad to have you in studio. Last time we talked, it was on Skype, and I think I was keeping you up late one evening uh, to to hear your story about life as a, a missionary, community health nurse and educator in East Africa. And now back in the States for a little while to share your story. Tell us about... Uh, your life. You've been in in Nairobi for almost two years now. Is that right? That's correct. And you uh, you accepted the call to serve as a missionary. You accepted this invitation to serve as a missionary and uh, also a nurse, a registered nurse. Correct. Correct. And so you went. Uh, what what did you initially go there to do as a missionary? What did you have in your mind? What picture did you have in your mind before you went to serve? Oh, that's a hard question. I mean, (laughs) it's hard to think about what does it look like when you leave your home culture, your home Mm -hmm. country, your family, your language, your job, what is, and move to the other side of the world. What does that look like? It's hard to have uh, expectations and it's even harder to have realistic expectations. Mm -hmm. But to me, um, being a missionary was all about living in community and developing relationships with people and teaching about health and using that really as a door to share the word of God with them. Prior to serving as a missionary, you were working, you were serving as a nurse here in the Midwest in Nebraska. Is that right? Correct. Yes. And, uh, and so now you're a nurse serving in the, uh, not Midwest, uh, (laughs) the the Eastern part of, of Africa. Uh, tell us about uh, life in Nairobi and, uh, what you've learned about the, the people, the culture since you've settled in there now. That's a great question. Um, First, I have to kind of make fun of myself a little bit. Um, (laughs) I worked in the intensive care unit at Creighton University Medical Center in Omaha, Nebraska, a level one trauma center. Uh, It was a lot of challenges, but it was really exciting to me and I really enjoyed it. But I remember there were times when I used to complain about when I had four patients because, (laughs) oh my goodness, four patients in the ICU, that's not safe. And how will I ever get this work done? And then God called me to the mission field where I'm supposedly responsible for several countries. (laughs) And wow, I I take it back. I'll take four patients any day you want to give them to me. Um, So the the uniqueness about this job is instead of showing up at a hospital and I have patients assigned to me and that's what my work is, instead I'm in a community and I'm there to build relationships and teach about health that's maybe something you can wrap your mind about around in our own culture, but now let's add on a new culture. What does that look like? Well, I think the thing I've learned the most in the last two years is that um, it's about building relationships. Building relationships is about breaking down barriers and the biggest barriers we have are language and culture. So for me, it's a lot about learning Swahili and learning the local culture so that I can communicate effectively. How's the Swahili coming along? Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite Swahili phrases is pole pole and diomwendo, which means slowly, slowly, <laughs> indeed is a speed. So it's coming along, uh, but it takes time to learn a new language. Um, 
and, and to learn the culture behind it. For example, you might know how to say in Swahili, I dropped the cup and it broke. But that's not how they would say it. Instead, the culture influences the language. You see, it's a culture of shame or of guilt. So I, I don't want to say that I dropped the cup. In Swahili, I would literally say the cup jumped out of my hand and onto the floor where it was broken. So it wasn't my fault if I say it that way. So those culture and language things go hand in hand. Interesting. It jumped out of your hand, landed on the floor where it was broken. Yeah. I don't think that works for mom's vase when you're playing baseball in the house, but (laughs) you could try telling your mom that the vase jumped out in front of the ball and was shattered when the ball hit it. So how have you learned, uh, how did you learn these, uh, this aspect of, of the, the culture in which you live? How did you learn um, the, uh, the, what are the people groups uh, uh, among the, you, uh, whom you live, with whom you live? In Kenya, there are, I believe, 44 tribes. Mm. Um, so I can't even begin to list them all. Uh, and I've worked with several of those different tribes. Um, but what unites them is Swahili. So that's why it's important to learn that language. And the way to do that for us has been to go to a language school, to go someplace away from the city where everyone can speak some level of English to the people who they don't speak any English at all. And then sit in a classroom and learn and go out in the community and just talk to people, begin building relationships, use your senses, especially your eyes to see the way the people live their life. And then your ears to hear the the language that they speak and put those two together. What do you do when you go out into the community? Give us an example of going out into the community so you can practice your Swahili. Of course. Uh, One of my favorite things to do is to go on visits to people's homes, um, to be with especially a group of maybe a pastor from the local church or a deaconess. And we will go out to a village together and usually then go for a long walk out way into the bush to someone's home. Maybe someone there is sick or uh, maybe there's someone elderly. I guess you could compare it to a shut-in visit. Mm -hmm. And we stop by the home and just talk to the people. How are you doing? How is your family? How are the cows? You know, those everyday questions that we like to ask in East Africa and begin to hear their stories and then to share God's word and encouragement with them and say a prayer. That's probably one of my favorite ways to learn the language and mm-hmm. also see the culture. I suppose asking how you're doing and how are the cows, not not totally unfamiliar to uh, to Midwesterners. I suppose that's true. <laughs> Although usually when you greet someone, it's not, how are you? How is your wife? How are the cows? But it is in East Africa. <laughs> Was that... Uh, the, as you started to, and I assume this is all in Swahili. So yes. as you started to learn the language and hear the conversations unfold, what was that like the first time you heard that, realized what the conversation was about? How are you? How are the cows? Oh, there's a lot of shock factor <laughs> and uh, trying to not laugh at some of the conversations that you, as you begin to understand them, you think, seriously, that's what you've been saying mm-hmm. this whole time that I don't understand you. But um, that is the that is the culture. Well, just using the cows as an example, every family how how are cows a part of life in uh, in East Africa? That's going to depend on the tribe. For some tribes, um, they don't have money or currency. Their currency is cattle. 
uh, other tribes, they don't have that value of cows. Maybe they have goats or maybe they have um, fields like uh, corn or beans. It just really depends from one people mm-hmm. group to another. And also what area of East Africa you're in, um, how fertile is the land, how, how is this area capable of sustaining cattle or goats or sheep? So the question may not be, how are the cows? It may be, how is the corn? Yeah, it could be. Or how are your goats today? Those are perfectly appropriate <laughs> questions here in, you know, you know, in Nebraska, right? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> So you, you, you've immersed yourself in the culture, in the language, in order to learn more, uh, that, that you might serve uh, the, the people that you meet on a daily basis better. What, when it comes to community health and um, serving and teaching in the community, what are some commonly held views on health issues that perhaps might have been surprising to you? Yeah, uh, I have to admit that when I first went, I really had no idea what I was getting myself into. I was excited, Mm -hmm. but a little timid because I had really no idea. And as I've traveled and learned and listened to the people, it becomes clearer and clearer how much a need it is for education. For example, it's not uncommon for the women to come to me with a a medical concern and they'll begin to describe their symptoms to me and One thing that amazes me is they may speak zero English, but somehow they all know the word cancer. And so they'll start telling me their symptoms and they're always terrified they're dying of cancer. And you listen and you listen and you begin to realize some of the symptoms that they're describing to you are normal ways that God has created a woman's body to function. But they don't know that. They don't have that fifth grade health class where you learn that information. And it's a taboo subject to talk about women's health in East Africa. So the older women don't tend to share that information with the younger women. So person after person, I'm, I'm teaching them, this is how God has created your body. These are things that are normal. And you see, as you begin to teach them this, just the burden of, oh, I don't have cancer come off of them. And the peace and the joy of understanding, wow, God has perfectly created my body to function in this way. So it's been a joy for me to be a part of that, but it it does amaze me when you see these things and you think, how do you not know this? How How is it still um, a belief that the witch doctor's curse has caused your disease? When we can, we can test your blood and we can see that's malaria and science tells us malaria comes from a mosquito, but yet there's still that belief of curses from the witch doctor, doctor causing health issues. There's a lot of opportunity for education. Is it so going to uh, this issue of um, the witch doctor? How big of a role does uh, does that play in the, the cultures in which you serve? Uh, I think a lot bigger role than I initially realized. Mm-hmm. I spent um, this year. I spent a month volunteering and working at a clinic and hospital in Tanzania, and. I did that partially to learn more about how they treat things um, because if I'm going to be out in the communities teaching about health, it was, it was good to have a basic understanding of what you learn when you do go to a clinic or a hospital. And during my time there, I just began to realize that the people who come to that clinic or hospital, they usually come there as a last resort rather than thinking, oh, I'm sick. I should go see the doctor. It's, oh, I'm sick. And first 
you rest and try to take care of yourself at home maybe, then the next step would be going to see a witch doctor or some people call them traditional healers. And then when nothing else works, finally, they come to the doctor. And it sort of feeds this issue of a hospital is a place you go to die because sometimes they come and they're so sick, there's nothing we can do by that point. Had they come two weeks previously, you know, maybe there is something that we could have done. Mm. So the prevalence of traditional healers is very strong, especially the more rural that you get. Even amongst Christians who are believers in Christ, they still struggle to break free from that culture of traditional healers and witch doctors and curses and ancestral um, worship or ancestors having an influence even on your health. So how, what do they refer to the, the medical clinics and medical doctors as? How do they describe them? You mentioned witch doctors and traditional healers. How does a medical clinic or medical doctor come up with the conversation? Do they, what do they call them? How do they regard them? Uh, pretty much anyone that wears any sort of a medical uniform is called doctari in Swahili, or you can hear that right there. It's mm-hmm. doctor. Um, there's not a huge distinction between, oh, that person is a nurse and this person is uh, maybe a physician's assistant and this person's a doctor. Everyone is a doctari. Uh, and the people actually do put quite a bit of trust in the medical providers, which seems to contradict the sort of, if you trust them, then why the heck are you going to the traditional healers? That doesn't make any sense. Um, but they, they do have a lot of trust and faith in the providers and especially in the medicine, especially for some reason, East Africans tend to love injections. They think if they get stabbed with a needle, it's going to save their life for some reason. So the mothers will bring in their children with some, um, Let's take, for example, maybe a case of pneumonia, but it's not a severe case of pneumonia, something that we can treat with an antibiotic that the child can take orally. But the mothers will request an injection, which is a little bit strange because most kids don't really like injections. True, but I could see, I mean, that that makes sense to me. I think we, we probably, Americans have that same mentality too, that, well, if it's an injection, it's going to be stronger and it's going to fix it faster. Which may be true, but Mm -hmm. it's difficult to teach them that every medication has potential side effects and everything has a risk to it. And we have to wait until the risk is outweighed by the benefit before we choose that medication. Fascinating. What do you think, having served there nearly two years, reflecting on American culture now coming back to American (laughs) soil, what do you think we as Americans perhaps take for granted when it comes to some of the things you've learned about in, uh, in African culture? That's a tough question because the list is so long. I wouldn't know where to begin. And there are things that I've taken for granted for so many years without realizing it. Uh, for example, I've taken it for granted that you can go to any number of churches on a weekend and hear the word of God in your own language. That's not something that happens all the time for me in East Africa. Sometimes I hear the word of God in English, but many times I hear it in Swahili. Mm -hmm. Um, I took it for granted the ability to rinse your toothbrush off under the sink. Yeah, Uh, That's something I miss greatly because we, our water is not very safe. We use bottled water for that. Um, I took it for granted the ability to turn on a faucet in any room of your house 
any time of day sure. and hot water comes out. That's something that uh, <laughs> I forgot what a blessing that that is. It only takes a few cold showers or a couple bucket baths before you realize, wow, that I really took that for granted. What would you say is your is your chief work today in East Africa? Teaching, I know you, you've spent some time learning as well. What do you consider your chief work now? I always tell people that um, I am a nurse and I do love to teach about health. I love to treat patients. I got to be honest, I love putting IVs in people. It's actually kind of fun. But those little RN initials behind my name that I worked really hard for and paid a lot of money for, they're really not my true identity and it's not my chief work. Instead, I am qualified to do the work that I do because of my baptism, hmm. that my true identity is as a child of God. And my chief work is to share that identity with other people, to share with them um, the joy and the confident hope that we have through Jesus Christ. And I just get to do use medicine as a door to do that. How do... Last time we talked, we talked about Mercy Medical Teams. Do you still work with Mercy Medical Teams today? Yes, I do. What, uh, how do Mercy Medical Teams serve in East Africa? Mercy Medical Teams uh, fill a really important need in communities where um, like a clinic or a health center is not really available. So it's a group of uh, American volunteers from all over the United States. Many times these volunteers on one team, the first time they meet is in the airport, sometimes in Amsterdam, sometimes in London. That's the first time the whole team meets together on their way to serve in East Africa. And they'll work with local health providers um, to hold like a free medical clinic, an outreach clinic in an area where there really isn't healthcare available. Also an area that has a local Lutheran church. So we use these teams as a way to relieve suffering, provide health teaching and just medical treatment that's greatly needed in communities but we also use it as a way to connect people to their local pastors, um, to hear their local pastor give an evangelism message in their native language. Maybe that's Swahili or maybe it's a tribal language that's used in the area. Um, so these teams, they fill a pretty important role and it's they are a great blessing to me because they allow me to see what education needs there are. Tell me about, uh, you know, working with the teams and how you've seen you know, interaction between, uh, you know, Americans who come as uh, volunteers with Mercy Medical Teams, what, what they learn, what, and the ways that they serve, what are the perhaps aha moments that you see among the, uh, the Mercy Medical Teams as they're serving in East Africa? I think the greatest aha moment you see is when you take them to a local home t- to visit. So they're treating patients in the clinic all day and they see these people who they see the common complaints of like chest pain or trouble breathing and itching and burning eyes. And they don't really understand where this comes from until you take them to someone's home to do a visit. And while they're sitting in their home in the pitch black darkness of the small home with a fire on the inside and a teeny tiny hole at the top, they realize oh, 
Like this is why they have the health problems that they have. They sit in dust and smoke all night long and mm. during the day when they're cooking and that that has a, a big effect on their health. Um, and they see the poverty. They see that um, while we see smiling, beautiful people who put on their best clothes to come to clinic, when you go to their home, you see the real life that they live and the poverty that they live in and uh, some of the health challenges that come because of that. What have you learned about Sarah Kanoy <laughs> since you've been in East Africa for almost two years? I probably have learned more about myself in the last two years than I have in the entire rest of my life. Um, I learned that I was a really impatient person <laughs> and that I need to be much more patient. And God has really worked on me in that way. And I've learned that um, it doesn't matter what time the clock says, that it matters who's in front of you. Um, you see, the culture that I live in is very relationship driven, not driven by time as we are as Americans. Um, so I've learned how to be much more patient. Um, I've learned how much I don't know. The more I learn, the more stupid I realize that I am, how much more there really is to learn that I'll never stop learning living in another culture. What have you learned that you love about the, uh, the communities that you serve? I think I've learned that um, living in a culture that values relationships above everything else is a really beautiful thing. Uh, does it mean that your patients show up two, three hours late for their appointments? Absolutely. Is that sometimes frustrating? Yes, if I'm honest. But I know that when my patient shows up two to three hours late, it was because there was something much more important, some relationship, maybe someone they met along the road that was important for them to spend the time caring for their neighbor or visiting with this person. And it's helped me to realize as Americans, too often we, we greet each other, we're like, hey, how are you? Hey, good. Okay. See you next week, even at church. And there's no, uh, hey, how are you? How was your week? I heard your mom had a fall last week. How is she doing? Is she doing okay? How can we be praying for you? And to live in that culture, it's quite a blessing. What, uh, you're here in the States for a few months. If people want to hear your story or, or find out more about what's going on in your mission work, you're traveling uh, around the Midwest, they might have a chance to, are you doing any presentations in the, the coming weeks and months ahead? I'm doing many presentations in the coming weeks ahead. Yes. So uh, where would they find that information on your, your website? Yeah, you can find my um, calendar of when my presentations are. are um, that calendar is posted on my website. Okay. Um, that's salt and light in Africa. com forward slash home. We'll put a link to that with the archive of today's program on our website as well. So folks can follow you and, and find out more about your work and hear more of the, the story of the, the work that the Lord has given you to do in East Africa. You shared uh, before we came on the air that uh, you have, you've learned a blessing in Swahili from Second Corinthians. Is that right? That's correct. Would you like to share that with us as I we would, wrap up today? I would love to share that with you. Neima yabwana wetu Yesu Kristo na upendo wa Mungu Baba na ushirika wa Roho Mtakatifu ukaye nasi sote sasa na hata milele. Amen. 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Amen. How long did it take you to learn that in Swahili? Uh, it wasn't overnight. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Yeah. What can uh, what can we be praying for for you in the days ahead? I know you're traveling here in the States, but uh, in the new year heading back to Nairobi. Uh, what can we be praying for? What are the needs uh, of you and your work? And what are the needs of the people that you're serving? I always ask that people would pray that God would sustain the people of East Africa, that he would provide perfectly for the needs that they have for their daily bread, and that he would sustain them, that they might hear his name and be able to have the opportunity to come to know Jesus as their savior. For us as missionaries, I always ask that you pray um, for opportunities and for us to share Jesus in relationships with people that trust us and know us and pray that we have the courage to step through those doors because sometimes um, the opportunities to share Jesus come at times that require you to have a lot of courage. Mm. My guest today, Sarah Kanoy, she serves the Lord in East Africa as a community health nurse and educator with the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thanks for being my guest. It was a pleasure to have you in studio. God's blessings on your travels. Thank you. Coming up in just a little bit, Thy Strong Word on the Messenger of Good News Worldwide, KFUO. Listening to Faith and Family, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314 996 1518, or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at KFUO.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Faith and Family on Worldwide KFUO.